0: So, reading for you and preaching for you today out of Acts chapter 13, verses 13 through 33. Hear now the very word of the Lord. Now, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga at Pamphylia. And John, who was John Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down after the reading from the law and the prophets the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying brothers if you have any word of encouragement for the people say it so Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said men of Israel And you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about forty years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years, and after that he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my heart, who will do all my will. All this man's, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news, that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sermon that Paul preached to the children of Israel and to the Gentiles who feared God. May it be that we are those who are here, who are children of the covenant, and or those who fear you, that we are those who seek out your heart to seek out your word, to seek out your salvation. May these words to us this day be an encouragement to us. May it be that it would be good news to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Yesterday I was doing a variety of errands, one wrapping up the orders of worship, and I saw this couple um, walking through the pelting um, sleet that we had yesterday. We had mul- I'm sure wherever you probably were in the region, there was a very interesting mixture of weather. I was talking to Kevin's sister yesterday, and um, I can't remember what she said, but um, like, do you enjoy our, um, she's from Cal they're from California, so do you enjoy the, the, the weather here, and she goes, yeah, all of it happened today. It was like a, a complete selection of, of weather, and that's the way spring is. It's become normative, but I saw this couple uh, walking through the parking lot um, going to Walmart, and they were—you could see the husband was really concerned for his wife, and she was just getting pelted with the the sleet. And and he 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 passes me, and and I noticed in the mirror he looks back at me. So I drove up to him, and I said, "Do you need a ride?" From it was not a very you know too much longer, maybe a football field to get to the entrance. I said, "Do you want to ride from there?" And he said, "No." But how long are you going to be here? And I said, "Do you want to ride back wherever you're going?" And he's like. Yes, <laughs> he gave me a fist pump. And I was like, oh, I'll be here. I'm just printing some orders of worship. I'll be, I'll be waiting on you outside. And, and they, it was a truck driver who had broken down uh, a couple days before his transmission went out and his and his wife were traveling from a, a Atlanta to Washington DC and he's staying at the quality. And they I invited them to come and gave them my card. I was kind of hopeful that they may come. I told them we can give you a ride because they don't obviously have a vehicle. But I didn't know maybe if they would try to find it. And the way they seem to communicate, they, they may be here today. But these new friends that I made, um, once I told them that I was a pastor, they were very excited about that. This woman, her name's Lois, her brother is a pastor. And it, it, it changed the atmosphere of the car when we were going back. And I was excited and I invited them to come to worship and and the husband indicated that he, he, he said, we might just do that. And he said, you know, my wife's got the spirit and she's an evangelist. And I said, well, my wife's an evangelist. <laughs> she's always out reaching out to people. And I, when I said that, I kind of laughed, but they didn't really laugh at me. And I realized, oh, they, they, I think this is an, a, a, a title <laughs> that, that, that she has. Um, and, and I could tell that there was some distinctions um, and, they happen to be a black couple, and I was thinking, well, they're probably from a black church. And my first thought was, what if they come to our church tomorrow? They're going to, they're, they're, one, culturally, from my assumptions, they probably come from a very lively congregation. Um, and, and not to put you all down, but I don't anticipate that the the measure of liveliness would be similar <laughs> from wherever I am. Assuming that this cult, just based upon, I mean, this guy was listening to music when it, it had music on in his his phone the whole time <laughs> that we're talking. I mean, he was just this energy guy. Um, and I thought, well, culturally it might be a little different. And and then I was started you know making some assumptions based upon his comments. And they probably come from a more charismatic background. And so there's going to be some distinctions there. I wonder how comfortable they would be worshiping with us. But I thought, you know, I hope they come. Because it is my intention and it is the intention of our worship to be word-centered, to be Christ-centered. And if these are people of God, if these are people that God has drawn to fear them, It will be the Word of God, centered in Jesus Christ, that will unify us. And I thought about how that discomfort might be for us, but we should be encouraged that by this proclamation of the Word, that throughout cultures and backgrounds and even differences, the Lord is drawing his people in unity, because it is something that Jesus Christ prayed for unto himself. And here is Paul in his first missionary journey. And everything about this portion of this passage in Acts is showing this transition that the God of the universe is spreading out this truth, spreading out this understanding. Everything that Luke is writing here, inspired by the word of God, is giving us reminders how this that used to be a national religion of a particular people is becoming an international religion for the whole world. That the dominion of Jesus Christ is overtaking all things That all things are placed under his feet. And so as Paul and Barnabas, and for a moment John Mark, as they're going across Cyprus and up into Asia Minor, they are encountering a multitude of different kinds of cultures, a multitude of different beliefs. This Paphos, who was known as a center of the worship of Venus, and that they had a temple there where there was prostitute worship, is very different and wrong worship. But Paul is going up in there to preach the gospel. He is sitting in a synagogue that is made up of Jews that are from the diaspora and other Gentiles who are fearing God and who are with the Jews and wanting to trust the Lord and to hear his word, but they are not circumcised. So they have different kinds of people and we are in Asia Minor. We are away from Jerusalem. We're in a different place, and we are among a lot of different people. But Paul, with the confidence that he had, was to focus on the Word of God and to center it in Jesus Christ. He had a confidence that whatever the Lord had for them, the Holy Spirit that had brought about the church to appoint him to this ministry, would bring forth fruit because of the Word and the Spirit based upon the work of Jesus Christ and his resurrection of the dead. So I have no reason to fear that if God brings anyone into this place, that as long as that we adhere to the proclamation of his word, centered in the work and the reign of Jesus Christ, that we can, as brothers and sisters, worship him and celebrate him with patience to many things that surely Paul had to encounter in this time. So we see here right in the beginning, I want to point out a few things that in this particular chapter, as I mentioned last week, and I have now a freedom to to try not to stumble over my words here, that Luke at least, through this writing, is making it clear of a transition from Saul being called Paul. If you recall why he was in Cyprus as he is going from the east side of Cyprus through the island over to the west, he went from a synagogue into the pro-council, the Roman pro-council governor of the Cyprus Island. He was going from Jew to Gentile, and right there is when Luke said, Saul, who is also known as Paul. Saul, again, is Saul's Jewish name, and Paul is his Roman name. And we see from here on, Saul will no longer be referred to as Saul any longer by Luke in the account in Acts other than when Paul or someone else is recounting earlier than this event. So there are times where he will see his name as referred to as Saul again. So it is not some kind of special thing that the Lord did like he did with Abram to Abraham, but it is more of a, maybe a literary tool for us to see this religion, the only true religion, becoming a truly international, which is a promise from God that he would do from the Old Testament into the New, that this was going to overtake the world. So here is this very transition, this very chapter is from, you can go back and you can do a word search and you will not see that Luke is going to refer to Saul any longer As Saul, it will be considered to be Luke. And then you see who he is talking to as he introduces his sermon. And again, this is going to be the first part of a three-part sermon as we finish out the chapter 13. This is a, a longer sermon, but we're going to break it up in the hopes that I won't have to keep you here too long. But as he introduces this, he does a couple of things. One, it says that Luke records that he stands up and he's after they, they ask him to, to give a word of encouragement, he stands up and he is motioning with his hand. Now, when we read that just off of the surface, we see, well, that he's just being very descriptive. But you have to keep in mind, and it's good to search this, and I don't want to overly read into every little thing that Luke is doing, but I, I see it to be contextual with the rest of the passage that he is explaining to us a, an approach that... Paul has toward his audience. One, he acknowledges them as, some of you are men of Israel. You are Jews. And some of you are those who fear God. And we learn from Cornelius in previous passages that there were this group of people called the God-fearers that were Gentiles that were among the Jews who were being drawn to God, but they were not circumcised. They were not considered to be Jews. They were Gentile believers seeking out God. And as he is motioning with his hands, every commentary that I read is that that is a clear indication that he is using a Roman oration tactic. He is using something that people are used to when the Romans are speaking publicly, that this was something a little different than how things were done typically in the synagogue. So you have this merger where Paul and Barnabas are sitting there in their worship, meeting on the Sabbath day, and they are reading a passage of the law and the prophets. That is Why we do that here today? It is a tradition that we have inherited all the way back to how they did things in the synagogue, and then after that, there was common for someone to proclaim and preach on that. And they asked Paul. They knew surely had heard about Paul, and he stands and he is going to preach a sermon that was on one of the passages that they were reading. We don't know what particular passages. We can assume, based upon the content, that it had something to do with from Moses to the time of David. And he's going to bring all of this together to expose and to present that all of these things are about Jesus Christ. We have, with just Paul himself, a tremendous display, and I've mentioned this before, but I think it's still important to see this as we are considering how this is a transitional time of ministry for God's people, that Paul is one that is uniquely positioned to be in the place that he is. He is a Jew of Jews. He is a Pharisee of Pharisees. He is a well-trained one, but he is from... Tarsus, which is not from Jerusalem, though he went there and he received training there, he is not from there, he is this hybrid of a region, a hybrid of cultures and a hybrid of citizenship. And this is why you have this name transition is to show that God has set forth in him from the beginning of his life, from the very beginning of the foundation of the world to be one who would be equipped Well, for this particular ministry. One thing you could also notice in how Luke presents this is that until this moment, he describes their appointments, whether it's to go to Jerusalem with funds from Antioch to support and help them through the famine, or whether it's as they go into this particular ministry, it's always been described as Barnabas and Saul. And now there's a transition. We see here that it's now Paul and Barnabas. We have a very short little statement here that it is John Mark decides to split at this moment. Again, we don't know why this happened, and so anything that I say from this point describing this occurrence is only speculation, but it comes to, we have discovered that it's likely to be probably based upon what we understand from one, the context, and second, what we understand from human nature, But John Mark probably left for one or a multitude of the three reasons. One, Barnabas was his uncle, and so he was close to Barnabas. And some can say that it is likely that maybe with the transition of leadership, with Paul obviously being now the one who is leading this mission field, it started out with Paul assisting Barnabas. Now Paul is leading this ministry, that maybe there was some differences of management. Also, when you go from Cyprus up into Asia Minor, from the the description of where they are going from Paphos into Antioch of Poseidon, this is a very dangerous area. And we learn from 2 Corinthians 11 through Paul's account that he had endured a lot of turmoil, both from his people who should be considered as brothers and also from people who were not. That he had endured... All types of beatings and all types of persecution. And it is likely that to make that trek between those two cities was a very dangerous route. Some, some say that maybe John Mark was like, I'm just not going there. <laughs> you can go into that. Heat. I, I'm not going into that. And also he goes back to Jerusalem, and, and probably a lighter and less likely thing is that maybe he just wasn't as comfortable with all of the cultural um, distinctions that we were going to be going through. And maybe it was a combination of all of that as Paul was making this truly a a missionary journey into uncharted lands, um, places where the gospel had not been preached. He didn't like that tactic. Who knows what those things are, but we see in that that there's a transitional thing. There's a variety of reasons why this was a major feat to go in there. And I do want to make a side note too, not to try to make this too much of an information lecture, but there's a lot of things going on here. This is not the same Antioch that we have over in what is modern day Syria. This is another Antioch that is in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. There's at least three cities of antiquity that has been identified as Antioch. So it's kind of like today when you go different places. you like around here, we have a lot of Greenville's in just about any state. You have Washington named in a lot of different places. You have Jefferson. Um, you have Georgetown's. You have a lot. We have leaders that received that because of their their reputations. That cities were named after them. Well, this was a leader, and there were multiple leaders from the Seleucid Empire that had been called. In, in, how do you say it, Jennifer? Was, Antichus. Antichus. And there's some other stories that I'm not going to go into that. But this is a different Antioch, and. Didn't see much commentaries on this, but it, it, it intrigued me a bit. What is this word Antioch? You know, what is it's usually when I see things multiple times, I kind of go, what is this about? What do you see in the word antioch? What do you what do you see there as a, a Latin base that's in there? Anti. anti Alright? So this is gonna be a silly question, and I'll probably get some jokes on this later on. But does anybody know what? um pasta is or any pasto Jonathan's a cook here he's really what is what is anapasto why is it called that you don't eat carbs you don't eat carbs okay <laughs> so it's not actually the answer but it's funny but what what when i first heard the word i thought why would anybody want to be any pasta i mean it just it's like it sounds like a weird sect you know is it it's kind of you know like we, we love pasta pasta is a good thing you know so you want to you, like you're saying, it's it's carbs, so it's good. It tastes good, but it's bad for you. You know, it's like, maybe it's like um, plant-based meat. <laughs> you know, why would anybody want to well, eat something that's antipasto? But does anybody know what that means? I mean, it's a salad that's only made with vegetables and stuff before a meal that's very heavy in carbs. Before, before yeah. a meal. The word ante has a variety of different meanings that are kind of related to be the same. It means to be before or in front of. And pasta actually means meal, so it's before the meal. It's kind of like the appetizer. You have the big you know, thing of pasta, the big you know, high carb meal afterward. You're gonna start out with a before the primary meal. Well, Antioch is a name that was given to a multitude of leaders that is to talk about someone who stands out before boldly. It is actually kind of a, a, a conflictual word. It's, it's to be anti. It's to be stubborn. It's to, to push against. But in a positive sense, it's like the positive element of stubborn. So when they gave that name to their leaders, it was to indicate someone who would stand fast with boldness. And I thought it was interesting that the mission center hub was the Antioch in, over in Syria, that there is this interesting tone being brought here, especially in light of today's passage that we read in the psalm. What did we read over and over again about the Lord's love? that it was steadfast. And even in this term, and it may just be a happenstance thing, but I still feel like it was a fun thing to point out, that as we're thinking about these cities, Antioch, and we're thinking about that region, even though they were, had nothing to do with what my sermon is talking about, but there is this name, this reminder of this person whose name means to stand before, to stand out in front of, to be bold, to be strong, and to be immovable, to be steadfast, to hold fast. And that is the description that we have that Paul is going to be given the calling to do here, to give the good news. What is the good news going to be? These men said, brothers, if you've got something good to say, say it. (laughs) We want to hear some good news that comes from the law and the prophets And Paul delivers this tremendous news about the steadfast love of God. And we have all of these things being reminded to us in this particular story. In this name, it continues to even pop up in the narrative that means stand fast. It means boldness. And we are reminded of the love of God as he pours out this sermon to us where he goes back to the people in Egypt. He goes back to Israel. And he goes through and he starts right off the bat by saying that these are chosen people, that that God chose to do this. We were reminded that it is nothing that Israel did to receive the favor of God, that God chose these people and he rescued them, he delivered them, he destroyed their enemies. But while they were in the wilderness... He had to keep putting up with their ways. He had to keep enduring them, enduring their wicked ways. And some translation actually highlights the word ways, that it was not just that he put up with them, he put up with their ways, their actions, and their response that his steadfastness kept him going, that even while he saved them and he called them and he favored them and as he freed them from his, their enemies, they still rebelled, they still moaned, they still complained. I know this is difficult for you all to understand because none of you all are likely in this boat where you can look back at your salvation and look at the good favor of the Lord, I'm sure none of you have responded to that with complaining and with moaning and groaning and rebellious response. Here in the middle, I'll give you some application. The Lord is putting up with you even now. He continues to walk with you. That is gracious words. That's already good news to see that Even after all that the Lord has done for all of these periods of time, for 450 years, the Lord still continued to be with his people because he had a purpose. He had a promise, and his promise will not be broken. And so he takes them through whatever passage they were to remind them of the things that happened. He highlights how God provided them this salvation. He highlights for them how he provided them judges. And if you go to the book of Judges, there's a lot of putting up with stuff in the book of Judges. I mean, it's amazing. You're thinking, oh my, how can he do this? If we have any, when it keeps repeating over and over again in Psalm 118 that his steadfast love endures forever, just going through the book of Judges should say, wow, he should have just wiped us out a long time ago and just called it quits. But then they press on and he gives them Samuel the prophet. And when they give him Samuel the prophet, they start asking for a king. And we're in the men's study we're going through for Samuel, and we see images of the gospel. We see shadows of the gospel already. We can see ourselves in Saul. We can see ourselves in Israel. And then we get a little bit of an image with Jonathan of someone who's steadfast and is hopeful that the promises would be fulfilled, that is not assuming that he would do the thing that we would assume that God would probably do, which is to annihilate his people Jonathan acted upon the promises of God and assumed that he would fulfill those promises, and then he goes to David. What is it that we proclaimed in Psalm one eighteen that Jesus is the son of David? Didn't plan this like a perfect um, Palm Sunday passage. I didn't even realize it. I was I was looking at Acts and like this is fitting the sermon perfectly. And then he quickly goes from when he proclaims the story of David that God himself called David one who was a man after his heart and who will do all of his will. We know that David is not a perfect man. He is a ruthless murderer, adulterer. But God chose David to be the one that he would work through to bring about the promise of salvation. That it would not be David that would save, but that the promise of a Savior would come from that. That even in his great and wise plan, amazing and unbelievable plan, that he would use someone like David... As faithful as he is proclaimed, still a sinner that would be the one in which would bring forth a son who is our Savior. That is good news, that God would use sinful people, that he would use wicked people to bring a perfect Savior and Son in Jesus Christ. All Paul is doing here is following what he had learned about Jesus. When Jesus rose from the dead and he was on his way to Emmaus, what did it say that Jesus did when he was talking to them? He went through the law and the prophets. He explained the law and the prophets to the disciples who were amazed to see the risen Lord. And then he taught them about how this is about him. Reminding them, because he's already done this before, but reminding them once again by the law and prophets that he is the fulfillment of the good news. And how did they respond? What did they say happened to them? Y'all remember? That their hearts burned within them. It is that proclamation of the gospel. As Paul is remembering that account, and he is hearing the law and the prophets heard, he is prayerful and hopeful that as he preaches the very sermon that Jesus preached to the disciples, that maybe that those hearers here would receive that same burning, that fiery burning, that the Spirit would enliven them to believe. That Jesus is the promise and fulfillment of all of the scriptures. And so we have here, he says, brothers, this is in verse 26, sons of the family, Abraham. Well, first he reminds them of John. I skipped John. I can't skip John. He, he points out that John was preaching to the Israelites that they need to repent And he preaches to them that John made it very clear that he wasn't the one, that he preached with humility that he is not the one worthy of worship, that he only was there to point the way. And again, Paul is doing the same, to point the way of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, brothers, son of the family Abraham, and again he says, and those of you who fear God. So don't just assume that that's a furthering description of the Israelites. He is talking to two different types of people here, two different groups of people. He is talking to the Jews and to the Gentiles. He says, to us. He's merging the message now. He's bringing it together. He's saying, "You, you may have come from a lineage of the Jews. You may have come from the people of Israel. You may be coming from a Gentile background and the Lord has drawn you, but I'm here to tell you both, that to us has been sent this message of Hosanna, salvation, that we have a savior, that we have a hope of salvation. This message is for us. This dominion of his work is for all of us. And that is a message very applicable to us. Some of you have been in the church ever since you were born. Since you were conceived in your womb, you've been in your mother's womb as she worshipped us each day and the gospel was proclaimed. And some of you are not so new to the gospel. God is showing his immense capacity to bring this together, that because of the promises that he had proclaimed, that even though he uses... Weak people to bring about his salvation. He is saving weak people from a multitude of backgrounds, a multitude of sins, a multitude of stories of weakness. Even for the one who's like, I've grown up in the church and, and I can have the same testimony. I can recall more sins since I've come to understand the Lord. I can recall more of my sins since I've come to understand my calling in ministry, than I can before those times. That can be very discouraging. But it is also very hopeful that it is the Lord bringing that knowledge about in our minds to remind us we need a Savior. You may be one here today who is struggling with sin and thinking, this is ridiculous. And you know what? It's ridiculous. <laughs> Because we've also been taught, as we see in His Word, that we're like those who forget that we are saved from our enemies. We are just like the Israelites who are free from their captivity, who God has made a a spectacle of the destruction of their enemies. Many of us have those stories where we see, I know time and time again how the Lord has freed me. I know the Lord has saved me but he continues to put up with us. Not to too, put too much time, because Paul didn't, but there is the reminder of Saul, and we have in the reminder in 1 Samuel 15 that rebellion is of divination and presumption is of witchcraft. We cannot continue to be comfortable with that posture of sin. He is reminding us with John that he Preached repentance to the Israelites, to the people who were introduced to God, who were chosen by God. We are to continue to remember this is something we are to repent of. It is a hopeful call that there is still time to repent and to turn and to trust this one that is the fulfillment. But even here we have the account that it was God's very own people that he chose Chose that are the ones who crucified him, who teamed up with Pilate to bring about the very death of the one who has come to save. But we're thankful that that is a very short narrative here because he quickly goes to, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared. Again, remembering, he's probably remembering the message that Jesus gave. He appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. I'm in verse 31. Who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you this good news that God promised to the fathers that he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus. And then he goes into the psalm. The psalm that we are proclaiming throughout the whole world today. And this psalm that the call to worship is continuing to call them. He's saying, the people of Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. The people who fear God say, His steadfast love love endures forever. He's reminding us both people of Israel, people who are those who fear God, the Gentiles, to the whole world. He is reminding us, and Luke is reminding us, the whole narrative, the name of the city is even reminding us of God's steadfast love for us. I love that word, steadfast. It is an amazing word that he has been about this from the very beginning with Adam and Eve after they sinned, with Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness, with Saul and with Samuel and with David and with us. The Jews then, just years before, who crucified Jesus, and even Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, as they're struggling with something, That we don't even understand. The Lord continues to work with us with steadfastness. But the good news message is the message that John preached. Repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Follow me. Trust me. I have shown you time and time again that all of these things are about me, Jesus Christ. I was imagining what it would have been like for Paul to sit there. I don't know if he knew that he was going to speak. It doesn't give you any indication. And he's just sitting there. I mean, just imagine sitting there. He had to go through the temple of Athena. He had to go through all this stuff. He's been persecuted. People are yelling at him and hurting him from all different directions. And he's sitting there in the synagogue and he hears the law and the prophets and he's just like, I, I know who this is about. This is about Jesus. Jesus. We what a tremendous moment to see this baton being passed over to him. And we have to remember that as Barnabas is sitting there, that Barnabas was leading, and now he's is, he is passed on. What does Barnabas' name mean? Son of Encouragement. Now we don't see that there's any real dispute with Paul here other than that he wanted to bring John Mark in. We can kind of see that maybe he was trying to bring this kind of unity thing and then eventually John Mark was able to rejoin in the ministry. Barnabas is like the Magic Johnson of the New Testament missionary team. Magic Johnson, there's a lot of things you can learn about him that you don't need to learn about him, but as in his, his basketball abilities, he was known probably better for his assist than he was for his slam dunks. He was amazing. I don't know how many of you all watched the Lakers back in those days, but he, he was an amazing assister. He, he was letting the glory go to someone else. He was always letting someone else make the shot and we see here this transition now and it's the right person it's the right time that barnabas the son of encouragers has the one who encouraged paul to go and talk to the disciples and encourage the disciples to accept paul and here we now he was the one who was leading the ministry now he is encouraging paul to take the lead he's assisting paul in it because god endured With Paul as he was persecuting the Christians to now turn it around and preach the gospel. How can you encourage people in your life? There are probably people in your life that you would not want to necessarily consider to be the person that you would want to encourage to be the one to go out and proclaim the ministry, that he would be the unlikely candidate. Now, I'm not saying that you go find the most wicked person you can think of and encourage them to become a minister, but to not be dismayed that whenever we see this message, this seemingly corrupted message of all of these wicked people and Israelites and even Paul, who is guilty of murder by his own hands. Well, by his own proclamation. Sorry, I was a little over the top there. But that he is guilty. He has blood on his hands is what I meant to say. For the christians that were killed now he's the one proclaiming the gospel be an encourager to one another be encouraged yourself that the steadfastness of the lord endures forever and forevermore let us pray our heavenly father we thank you for this tremendously encouraging passage Thank you for allowing us to take time to go through and to remember that this doesn't seem to be the way it ought to be. You are using sinners. You are saving sinners. And right smack dab in the middle of it is Jesus, the one without sin, taking on sin, the one who is the creator and giver of life, taking on death and becoming victorious over it. Thank you, Father, that Jesus rose from the dead and that he is reigning over every one of our weaknesses. Help us not to forget our salvation. Help us not to forget that it is by the power of Jesus Christ in his word and spirit that we are able to have victory over sin. And Father, use us. Make us fruitful. Make us wicked people, sinful people, useful for the proclamation of the good news to all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us stand and let us praise the Lord.